Hello, welcome back to another episode of Which Moving Pictures Move Us with me, your host, Emma Bolzner. Today, we'll be kicking off the start of summer with the 1975 classic blockbuster Jaws, starring Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, and Robert Shaw. And with me is my good friend, Dom. Hi, guys, and hi, Emma. Thanks for bringing me on the show. Thank you for coming on the show for the first time. So for those of you who may not know the premise of the film, um, which, I mean, I think everybody knows the premise of this movie, but the movie is set on Amity Island, a small town that profits off of tourists visiting for the summer. But just as summer begins, a woman is brutally killed by a great white after swimming in the ocean, and police chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider, attempts to close the beaches for everyone's safety. However, the mayor of the town refuses him to do this, and only after more casualties occur does Brody take matters into his own hands, along with marine biologist Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss, and expert seaman Quint, played by Robert Shaw. All three set out to find the shark and kill it before any more lives are lost. What do we think of Steven Spielberg's Jaws? So I thought it was a horror movie um, before watching it. That was... That was sort of my interpretation of Jaws, and that's probably a big part of the reason why I didn't watch it, because uh, I was a little scaredy cat as a kid. So I've seen like all the other Spielberg uh, mega classics, right? But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was pure Spielberg front to back, though, right? You, it's just such a, you know, I was thinking it was a horror movie, and it is a little bit. You get that that part where you see the corpse in the boat, which is pretty freaky, um, and of course the the shark attacks, but. It's just such a movie movie. It's got like these heroic elements. It's got these horror elements. It's kind of feel good. Um, obviously, John Williams helping out a lot with that. It just, it feels like a real cinema movie to me. I, I liked it. I feel like this is like one of the few movies where I say it's like a cinema masterpiece, cinematic masterpiece, because it has that mystery and suspense that like Hitchcock movies have, but it also has some really great comedic aspects to it as well. And to me, I always, like, when I go into watching it, feel like I'm watching two films. Like, the first part is on land, and the second part is on sea. That's how I always feel. Like, they feel very different, the, like, the, the, the three acts. Um, they're very distinct, and, and it's almost like two different movies. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a, a good way of, of summarizing it, and the, the comedic elements, um, for sure. Um, I, I like that you mentioned Hitchcock too, because I, I kind of thought that was my my first note actually when watching this movie is where you get that uh, the shot of the first girl and the sharks coming up from underneath her, and that's like the classic Hitchcock underneath the floor shot, um, and that almost like confirmed my suspicions that this is going to be be more horror. But um, yeah, it hits all the notes. It feels that opening scene. Um, what did you think of that? Because I just think that sets the tone of of the movie so well and even though we'd never really find out much about Chrissy and you know she's there to die I think her character is so important to the whole film because it just sets the story it makes the story um start going I I really like um sorry this is just my my movie brain turning on but I love how you get that opening shot where she's being pursued by the guy and then pursued by the shark and there's sort of this dual um, this parallel between the two there. Um, and yeah, I thought it was, I mean, the opening is just so seventies too. Like that sets the tone in and of itself. Right. Um, you got the, the guys around the fire and they're kind of like, they're littering and they don't really care. And it's just like, it's such a, a sign of the times. 
That's actually such a good point. I never thought of that. Like the guy's chasing her and she's being chased by the shark once she gets into the water. That's, I've never, I've seen this movie like five times and I've never thought of that before. <laughs> you that was, watch um, it once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I again, I had my, I knew I was going to be on a podcast. You probably didn't know that the first time you watched this. So I was really like putting in all the, the work. Um, and I thought the same thing just to, I guess, jump ahead a little bit and stop me from getting ahead of myself. But um, with Brody when he's sort of introduced and he's running around town and just sort of all throughout the movie when he gets stranded on that little car ferry as well um, and sort of cornered by the mayor and his his lackeys. Um, like, he's mm-hmm. being pursued on land. He's this... There's sort of a little bit of a shark parallel there where the people are almost hunting him down. And it's like everybody yeah. wants his attention. Everybody wants something to do with the mayor. Um, you have Hooper show up um, halfway through... And then he's hunting him down and everybody's looking for this guy. Yeah, that, that's that's true. There's a lot of hunting in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> human to human and shark to human as well. Um, yeah, I really, I I think Brody's character, um, and I don't know if I'm getting too ahead either. I just think he's such an interesting character and we don't see a lot of this kind of person in movies as much anymore, but like that everyman character, they're so interesting because they're a stand-in for us, like the viewers who are watching it. And I found him like so relatable, especially with the water scenes of like, he doesn't know what to do. Like he's just a police officer. Like he's not meant to, you know, hunt a shark. And I think his character is so interesting. I'm glad that you said that because I I also... Yeah, the everyman, it's such a 70s character, again, to go back to that idea of it being a little bit dated almost. Um, I feel like nowadays, the main character is always the Hooper, like the scientist type, where he's a little bit snarky, and he's always got like a sarcastic quip, like, I was thinking to sort of the current blockbusters, the the Marvel movies and such, where everybody's kind of like going back and forth, and it's just rapid fire, clever takes over and over again. And he's such a, like, soft-spoken quiet down-to-earth guy um brody that is yeah no i agree i don't see that in many movies and i don't even see that like in a lot of other spielberg movies as well um like you know the people that are put into the jurassic park situation they all you know not know dinosaurs they are experts in that field but there isn't really that many you know in other horror movies as well somebody that's you know just like lost and doesn't know how to protect themselves and they're like you know unequal to everybody else like Matt Hooper he knows a lot about sharks he might not know how to kill one but he definitely knows how to defend himself and has the equipment like the cage and everything like that and then there's crazy Quint that literally doesn't care if he lives or dies (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like everybody the three um stars or, or male leads anyways I feel like they all got their own moment to sort of show their expertise in a way. Because uh, yeah. as you said, like Cooper, once they start actually trying to kill the shark, he kind of takes a back seat. He literally disappears for the entire climax of the movie and just hides behind a rock underwater. But, you know, he's got his moment in the sun where they're they're actually trying to track this thing down. And when he first shows up, he's this, this expert. He's the one who, you know, identifies the tiger shark and identifies that the great white is probably still out there. Um, and then Quint and Roy each, of course, get their own respective moments. What do you think of the pacing of this movie as a whole? How did you feel going into it? Did you find it a bit slow, you know, since it's your first viewing? I did, yeah. Um, 
And I, I like what you said earlier about there being two different movies, because I definitely felt like that was the case. Um, and not even, you know, a first act, second act, third act, there was definitely that sort of act separation, but also these sort of parallel storylines. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I felt like the, the beginning was quite slow. Okay. And um, I found myself really surprised that they only went out on the boat once. I was expecting sort of a, you go out and you fail, you go back out and it, it felt like a little oh. bit of a different sort of roller coaster, a different arc than you see nowadays. But they, they got on the boat and they yeah. did not come back until the shark was dead. Um, and that was very surprising to me. Yeah, and also I like that we just spoiled the shark died, but that's okay. <laughs> People know the shark dies. Um, I like that at the end as well. We never see them back in land again. Because okay. I think if we would have seen the scene of like the wife being like, oh my gosh, you're okay, you're alive. Like I thought would have ruined the movie for me. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you read that in any particular way? Like what do you think Spielberg was trying to do with that ending? Because in my view, it would be very typical of him to have that sort of perfect comedic ending right where you know you show them coming back and that seems more spielberg to me at least um what do you how do you read that ending i then? don't know i i definitely think it's really good that they did it that way um i like that it kind of ends with us not like we know they'll probably get there safely back to shore but we never actually know like maybe there's another great white in the water we don't know <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's two sharks mm-hmm. um but i think it was a whatever he was trying to do i don't know exactly i think it worked really well also because the stakes were so low sure. by then and we didn't really care about anyone that was left on land so like i didn't feel any attachment toward brody's wife or the definitely not the mayor so i i didn't really need to see like <laughs> you know some big congratulatory thing when they came back and i don't think brody would have gotten like a big congratulatory statement from the mayor either <laughs> for sure yeah um i i guess the only part that i didn't totally not not that i didn't enjoy it but the part that i felt maybe was a bit unresolved was i sort of was reading brody's story as sort of a separate arc like he, there's a lot of layers to this even the fact that he brought in his fear of water i thought was really interesting um yeah because it's almost a little bit unnecessary in a story where there's a massive shark haunting the waters. Like, everybody should be afraid of water at that point. Um, and then they, you also have this underlying the, uh, this underlying idea that he's a New York City cop who came to Amity. And we never really find out why. And we never really, you know, he, he wants to make a difference on this island, right? He, he mentions at one point that in New York he could only... Um, he couldn't make a difference and here one yeah. man can make a difference and he definitely does that and i see that as his resolution out on water but i almost the ending almost feels like he should stop being a, a cop in amity after that point yeah no that's actually i know he should you're right i don't know if he like we never know much of the backstory of like why he left new york um it seemed like that's what it was best for his family and him but yeah, it would be interesting if, I mean, there are sequels, and I don't know if now I need to check. I think Roy Scheider is in the sequel, so I've never seen it, but I would like to, I guess he stays on Amity Island. That must be it. That's a tough sequel to make. There's you like know, so do you many. Do any, you know anything about the plot? Like, how do you do another shark? I know, because they're so bad. There's a few. <laughs> there is, um, oh man. 
There is Jaws 2 from 1978. Um, I'm going to just quickly read off the summary for people that care. Um, (laughs) Years after the shark attacks that left Amity Island reeling, Sheriff Martin Brody finds new trouble lurking in the waters. Mayor Vaughn, oh, it's the same mayor as well, wants to rid the beach town of the stain on its reputation, but the disappearance of a pair of divers suggests that all is not right. When Sheriff Brody voices his warnings, everyone thinks it's post-traumatic stress. That is, until a shark fin cuts through the water. Whoa. (laughs) It's basically (laughs) the same movie again. Um, I can't imagine how they made that interesting. (laughs) And then there's Jaws, The Revenge um jaws 3 from 1983 with dennis quaid oh very nice (laughs) there's so many (laughs) and there's one in 1987 as well they wasted no time making those hey it got like 13 percent on rotten tomatoes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so only um Roy Shatter only came back for the sequel none of them i do have some fun facts um richard dreyfus has always been asked to come back to do more movies um and he always denies it even though he like is offered a lot of money because he just doesn't want to ruin the first movie so good for him (laughs) yeah i understand he's a bit of a purist even I, i was reading a bit about the production of this movie and he mostly took it as i understand it because he had his other another movie premiering and he hated his performance in it. And so he wanted to basically like cover it up by doing a big blockbuster really quick. Yeah. Um, so I can totally I too, see him uh, not wanting to come back and, and taint that. I think the movie really kicks off when the Kittner boy dies. And that for me is like one of the most that um, there's a name for this shot. I'm just looking. Um, I know what you're talking about. I actually have a note. Yeah, that push-pull, that push-pull technique, that's, like, that's what, let's even call, like, the Spielberg shot, um, when it kind of, like, zooms in, zooms out on Brody's face when the Kittner boy is, like, basically, you know, dead. Um, That's a really powerful part because he was the one that, you know, wanted to close the beaches, and the mayor was like, no, we're gonna lose so much income, and the people there, too, are like, so, oh, I, I have to talk about how infuriating everyone in this movie is later, but everyone's so infuriating, and he blames himself for his death, and that's, like, that's the scene that really kicks off the the movie for me, not, maybe not Chrissy's death, but definitely um, when the Kittner boy dies. Absolutely, yeah, and I, I love that you mentioned the shot, because the whole psychology of Brody at that point is, is so good where he's on the beach and he's just trying to he's hyper focusing on everything and everybody's trying to get his attention and he's just just this little ball of stress um and um yeah yeah, the characterization is fantastic um and then for when he gets out to sea as well i find that is like another really pivotal moment um where you, you actually finally get away from these people and you get to to do something about the problem like he has these all these stages that he goes through throughout the movie. Yeah. No, no, I agree. And and that scene is also, I like it because Spielberg kind of throws us off with the two boys, you know, pretending to be the shark in the water. Um, and then we're kind of get thrown off by like, who's, what, what, should, what should we be looking at? Like, who is in trouble in this scene? And, you know, he doesn't spend too much time on the Kittner boy. We see that poor man, you know, throw the stick for his dog poor dog um and then we like 
you know, go to a different part of the beach and then we come back and then see the, the inflatable um, raft that the boy was on, you know, turn up and bloody. And, and it's just, I, I don't know, it's just such a good scene because we're worried about Brody's kids and then, you know, we see what really happened. Uh, yeah, I thought that scene was pretty shocking, actually, when you just get that that red because you know Chrissy was was dragged under yeah. and you don't you don't really ever see anything um but when you actually get the blood like that is a really jarring moment at like 40 minutes through the movie um and there's a couple times like that because it, it it sort of like lulls you back into a false sense of security and Spielberg kind of puts back on the movie magic and you get like the strings and John Williams is going crazy in the background and you forget about yeah. these scenes and then something you know again it's like this ultra violence that crops up um yeah and it, it's it he alternates it almost like the deaths are you know one is very violent one is not one is very violent one is not as you go through the movie oh yeah you're right and did you also notice that um well we have to talk <laughs> about john williams like amazing score in a bit but like the way that you know there are times when there isn't a score, but then when there is, you know that, you know, the shark is really there. Because I think when the two boys are pretending to be the shark, they don't play the music. And, like, when you watch it a few times, like I have, I notice that. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know the shark's not coming. And then, you know, when the shark comes to kill that man that nobody cares about and, like, bites off his leg when he's like helping Brody's kids in a different scene and they're all like trying to get to safety and that poor man like dies and that's when the music plays again so it really throws you off because you expect to hear the music all the time and that's what's so brilliant about John Williams score is Spielberg placed it only at the times when the shark was ready was there and ready to hunt wow that is fantastic I did not notice that at all um, like sort of that that cueing yeah he doesn't ever lead you on um which I feel yeah. like I mean it's tough for me to say because I wasn't alive for all of the 1970s 80s 90s and you know um but I me feel too. as though <laughs> people since then will abuse the music a little bit right they will play the music and then have the jump scare be not a jump scare or it'll be you know something innocuous and Williams and and Spielberg don't really do that. Like, they, they put a lot of weight on the music, I feel. Yeah, and or they just, like, nowadays, they just want that jump scare all the time. Or not even that. They just, um, there's no suspense or, like, you know, waiting anymore. It's like, here's the monster, here's the killer. Like, there's nothing, like, to get you, you know, nervous or excited, I, I find, anymore. And that's what's so great. And I'll, I'll um, it was one of my fun facts, but I'll mention it now because there was so many problems making this movie. But the main problem was that the shark, nicknamed Bruce <laughs> by Spielberg, had so many malfunctions that he wanted to show the shark all the time. But because... You know, it's before CGI computers. It was an actual, like, constructed thing. It would sink all the time in the water. <laughs> so because of this, they had to, you know, basically make the sh shark appear only at the end. And the rest of the time, we never see it. And I think that's what makes this movie timeless. Because 
I you probably picked up on this like when you see the shark it it's not that great looking like it it doesn't really look like a shark. <laughs> so, I think if like we saw that face all the time, the movie would not be as popular anymore as it still is. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I had no idea cuz I was sitting there like applauding Spielberg for having so much restraint. Um and it was all mm. just like a technical error. That's so interesting. And I think it makes the movie so much better because we don't see it. And and um, we see, like, an idea of what the shark might look like through Quint's, like, famous monologue, which we'll probably get to either. And we imagine those black eyes, but we never really see it until, until spoilers, but I think people have watched this movie until Quint's mm. death. Um, and I think that's what makes this movie so great because now, like, a day is all we ever see is the killer or the monster and there's no there's nothing left to the imagination so i think that makes this movie so so good yeah still. i think it makes it really good on that that first watch and on rewatch but also just as a almost like as an allegory right where you have these people freaking out and it's like this story of the the hidden danger right um the way that people react to yeah. certain things the way that people downplay things i mean there's an easy parallel to be drawn to sort of covid and the way that people would would brush things off and you know not to not to make the obvious reference but um having the shark sort of be this unseen thing for so long um i think really enables the movie to to be timeless like you said yeah um what i need to know did you jump when the head popped oh. up <laughs> Of that fisherman. Absolutely, yeah. Because <laughs> I was expecting a shark and it's it's got the worms in the eye and everything. That was terrifying. Yeah, that was... I, I gotta say, I did not... I never jumped at that part, even though, like... And I didn't know it was coming. I just, like, maybe didn't really expect it. But the part that gets me is when Brody is, like, chucking off, like, guts across the boat. And that's when the shark comes up. That part freaks me out every time. See, and I almost thought that that was... All those scenes where the shark is coming out of the water almost felt like the, just bordering on that comic relief to me. Um, they played up as like a, a okay. little bit of a joke and it was it was quite sudden. But um, I honestly thought the the last scene where they're just kind of dealing with the shark was sort of absurd at times. Because it's sort of right there and it doesn't it oh, doesn't yeah. really do anything until the last bit. Um, and it's it's masterful in a way and it's also so silly because... The shark is just kind of circling them and Spielberg has found infinite ways to still make him a threat to these people, right? You have, he's pulling down masts yeah. and the barrels are going flying through the windows of the boat um, and he's, you know, chomping through the cage. Like these people just cannot keep themselves out of harm's way, even though it's a shark and it's in the water. Um, yeah. And I love that about this movie is that it's this da danger that is not a danger at all and they the people just continuously relentlessly put themselves in harm's way i i know and they also go into it so unprepared and like when quint like smashes the radio and he becomes a bit like insane yeah okay <laughs> he's just like oh Sorry, my god I'm, I'm totally scattered <laughs> but how did you feel about that shot because i didn't understand that at all does he just not <laughs> want the coast guard to help um i think he was trying like and and we should probably talk about that like famous scene first but I definitely feel like he was trying to like either get revenge on what happened to him and his friends like during the war 
or um, he just really just wanted to die. I kind of read it as the <laughs> latter, yeah. Like, he felt guilty for surviving and he wanted to die like his friend. Yeah. Even the, the whole description, yeah. right, where he gets bitten through the torso and that's the exact way that he ends up dying. Way his friends died. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that is i'm sorry my dog is just shaking in the background <laughs> um that is just such a powerful scene when they're in the boat and i'll just go to it now because why not and he's just like you know talking about his experience and that was the first time we kind of see quint as a person because before he's just like this drunken old sailor that nobody really <laughs> likes but's always around and we finally start like getting a backstory of like oh that's why this guy is such a weirdo <laughs> like like i think that is such like one of the greatest scenes in movie history because this it starts with them all joking around you know hooper quint and brody and Quint and hooper are showing the scars on their bodies from the shark attacks and and i love how brody is like trying to find a scar on him but he like can't find anything because he's like a city boy oh is that how you and how you, read that? you know <laughs> oh yeah so, okay so i thought um this is me again trying to latch onto this idea that he has some dark backstory in new york i thought he had a little like a bullet wound or something and he <laughs> that was going to become a plot point later so i was like oh, oh we're going to finally see I don't know. brody's dark past and he's going to reveal the worst scar Ooh. of them all or something like that that would be cool, but I read it as more of like he was like, "Oh, I'm not a man like the others," but maybe. No, I, I love, I love that. Yeah, I, I do think that I agree that that's one of the more powerful scenes, and it's like the mutual respect, and it doesn't feel very forced at all. Like, I think the tension between sort of the the working class, like Quint is, and then that sort of rich college kid, like Hooper is, sort of gets blown out of proportion. Um, in movies these days and it feels like jaws did it in a very down-to-earth sort of way yeah i agree because well i'll just ask you um quickly what did you think of hooper's character um richard dreyfus's character mm. i okay so when he first showed up the first thing that i wrote down in my notes about him actually is he looks like a, a 2022 millennial hipster. just like walked into the 70s he looks like a hipster to me this absolutely entire movie. he's got his little beanie and <laughs> Gene you know, on he's Gene. kind of a short dude he's like a little short king um which we love <laughs> and he got he has his jean jacket and jeans on Gene yeah on Gene. <laughs> and he's got his little camera and you know yeah, and he's me? this really smart guy when he first shows up and then he sort of his character takes like um, I thought it was really interesting that the way that they sort of made him not less likable, but more real and more sort of textured, I guess, in the scenes where they're drinking a lot and he laughs a little too long and he makes, you know, he just kind of gets a little bit of out, out of control. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was really nice. Yeah. And I think like out of all three of them, he feels like the most modern to me. Like you could put him in like a, like you said, like millennial, like a movie today. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's that looks about right. Like he doesn't look dated like some of the other people in this movie. Um, and 
I like that even though he's like this rich, you know, preppy guy, when Brody's on his boat just before they find the head of the, the fisherman, you know, he's like, oh yeah, this is my equipment. But he's not like arrogant about it. He's not like, you know, like, look what I have and you don't kind of attitude. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I just, and, and there's also that scene when he comes over for dinner and he brings, you know, the bottle of the of wine um, and there's, like, that cute scene between Brody and, and his son, and he's, like, mimicking everything his father does, which is so cute. I, I, I love and that, yeah. I know. It's such, it's, like, another, like, great scene that would not be in any suspenseful movie nowadays. Like, it's so small, but it's, like, so, so wonderful to have in, like, a movie like this. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Cooper's character is probably my favorite out of all three of them. I... I have a hard time choosing between him and Brody um, because, yeah. I mean, it is that specific scene that, that I love about Brody is, he, you know, he's kind of this, as you mentioned, this everyman that you can project onto before yeah. that. But at the same time, you know, their idea of an everyman that you can project onto is this very stoic, um, quiet man who doesn't really talk about his feelings and everybody else around him is kind of irrational and he's the only you know, voice of reason in this chaos, right? Which is um, very nice in some ways, but also kind of boring. And just that one scene with his son, I I felt like really fleshed him out. And where he's asking him, I love where he asks him to give him a kiss because he needs it. Yeah, um, I know. It's so sweet. And it even so just sweet. to come up with that and to to include it and to to have that in your main male character. I mean, you wouldn't see that, like you said, with movie dads today yeah and i like the relationship between like even though there's not a bunch of scenes i do like the scenes between hooper and um brody and i like the scene when hooper first appears on screen and brody's like can you help like me get these guys all organized so they don't go out on the ships you know trying to find the shark and they're like they're in their ships with like their small boats with like their dogs and like it's so overcrowded it's just <laughs> so such a disaster and like they have dynamite i'm just like well you guys can go die and and you know he's at hooper's asking them for like directions to a nearby hotel and they make some like snarky joke and he's like oh well you're all gonna die <laughs> i just think that's like so funny like i love when movies like that you know have this very serious tone have moments like that like with the sun or or like that moment i just think it it just makes the character's more likable. Of course, yeah. And that 30 seconds, you're so right. That 30 seconds is so important to the movie and also just to, to Cooper's character where you get this perfect introduction and he's the only person amidst this chaos who can, you know, he gets to Brody right away, right? Accidentally, he just shows up and he, he comes into the office and he immediately gets a job from Brody and yeah. he's able to stick around and finds him. And I, I just feel like, in some ways, that's just Spielberg telling you, like, this is the guy. This is the guy who's going to be relevant to the movie, I guess. Um, I'm trying, having a hard time voicing why it was so, so nice for me. Um, it, it just felt like, I, I think he actually mentions this at one point where he's like, you know, when I leave tomorrow, I'm going to be, you're going to be the only rational person on the island. Yeah. But it felt like 
almost like the Truman show up until that point where there's one sane person and everybody else is an actor. And then here comes Cooper and he's similarly able to cut through all that chaos and he shows up and it's like so nice to have your protagonist interact with another real character um, for the first time, like half an hour in. Yes. Especially when they go and approach the mayor together and um, the Amity Beach sign is like, there's graffiti on it. It's like, help me shark or something like that. And the mayor's more worried about the income than like people's safety. And finally having someone else there voicing the concerns and it really made me feel like, yeah, can someone just kill the mayor, please? Like, can the shark <laughs> kill the mayor, please? Did you also like find that everyone is so, well, everyone in this movie is white. Like this is a very white movie, but... Also, everyone's so old. Like, the people with the kids are, like, so old <laughs> to me. Like, okay, the Kidner know... boys, mom. <laughs> <laughs> My theory for this. You ready for this? Yes. So, 1974 or 5, when they would have been filming and releasing this movie, right at the end of the Vietnam War. So, I think either that's a deliberate effort to on on spielberg's part to say you know this is during the war and so all the young men are away or um, it just so happened that you couldn't get any young men in there to yeah. act because I, I absolutely noticed that as well I'm like there's only women and kids in this movie yeah or but also the moms are like so old like the kittner's mom when she like hits brody and she's like you know mad at him because she blames him for her son's death which is like you should be hitting the mayor but she looks like she's like 70 years old and her son is like nine (laughs) (laughs) i thought yeah that was such a strange moment for me too because on one hand and just to talk about sort of the portrayal of women in the movie um like she's absolutely right and she's this grieving mother and she's the only one who at that point is really a victim in the scene at least um well i mean apart from her kid of course yeah but and then they kind of but they sort of frame it in the way that it's not actually brody's fault right she slaps him across the face but the entire time you're like she's almost trivialized in a way yeah um which i thought was really interesting um and i i viewed her age as almost part of that right it's just like some silly old woman in some ways and all she has is her, her is her mourning right she's not allowed to be more right. complex or or sympathetic than that yeah um, you're right but in that same vein i i almost viewed um brody's wife as being a good character in that way because she is older right she has she, she has these wrinkles and she's it just feels felt more realistic and her character is like i remember at one point she's saying you know let's get drunk and fool around um and i thought that that was just so nice there's something about her that just was very likable to me yeah i agree and i agree with your your um your idea about vietnam too that's really interesting i didn't think of that um and i do find that i like about this movie is nobody looks like they're hollywood movie stars and I really like that. Like, they look like people you would see in your everyday life. They're not glamorous people. They're not, like, the most handsome. They're not the most, like, knockout women. Um, and I like that. Mm-hmm. What about Roy Schneider? Do you feel that way about Roy Schneider? Just personal personal take? Um, I feel like he looks like a normal person to me. <laughs> I think he's got, he's got a very handsome nose. <laughs> a nose? Handsome nose? Yeah. I Yeah, I think that... So this is sort of my, when I was watching this, is like, I think a Roy Schneider 
yeah would do numbers on the internet nowadays when he comes out and he's got his like <laughs> his beige shortcut crop cop uniform and he's driving around in his his little chevy cop truck on the island and he's going to the beach like i think that would do do numbers yeah i think him and then like mr hipster i want to see how they would do at the internet (laughs) 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 um okay what did you think about quint the man of the hour (laughs) oh i mean he's so such a wonderful character and i think he pulls in you know whenever you introduce a character like that you're getting the moby dick parallels um which i thought were were pretty on point and i think several times in the the wikipedia article that i read just a little bit earlier they mentioned moby dick as being sort of this if not the inspiration at least spielberg was thinking about it and so you get this this total stock character and like you said he gets a little bit more depth where he is this this soldier this uh this navy seal character um how did i feel about quinn though or quint though so I actually viewed his death as being sort of anticlimactic in a way. The way oh, that his death, he, yeah. I the way that the the shark jumps on the boat and just starts chowing down, I just I don't know, it felt a little bit rushed, maybe. And crucially, yeah. to go back to the music, that's also the one part where the shark appears and they don't have this. They don't have music. Effect. I know. Um, I feel like after I said that, I was like, but there's no music in Robert Shaw's death. <laughs> it's so strange, yeah. And it felt very real in that way. But I think that's almost makes the sort of the issues that you talked about with the shark just aesthetically pop out a little bit more and feel a little bit sillier. Yeah. Um, and that's the one thing, like, I, I thought that Quint was a really interesting character. Um, especially, I mean, his introduction is fantastic where he scrapes the nails down the chalkboard ah, and then you get this shot of him through the entire crowd in that room and everybody's eyes are trained on him and it's just like it's like a renaissance portrait um the man of the hour and then he just leaves until the third act of the movie <laughs> and there's um, that like man following him behind him <laughs> yeah he's got his little lackey with the, ru- yeah. the orange rubber hat um who just never <laughs> gets a name or anything like that um and then his death felt a little bit odd, and that was the one, I guess, one of the things in the, the at the ending of, ending of the movie that I felt was a bit missing is, you know, they're like, well, he didn't make it, and then they're like, anyways, and then they yeah, swim off. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, his introduction, like you said, is fantastic. I think he's the best introduction out of all of them. I think his character is the most interesting, but I do find that that whole boat scene, like the last 10, 12 minutes, does feel really rushed. And um, I find his death to be a little bit choreographed and his screams, um, (laughs) especially his screams. And I do think it would have helped if they had, you know, a bit of the music playing in like lightly in the background. But I agree. It's like when he dies, um, if I believe... If I'm correct, I don't think Hooper even witnesses his death because um, he's still underground in the underwater in the cage. So I find that like we're so like worried then about Brody's safety that when Hooper like you know swims back up, he's like 
did Quint make it? And then um, Brody's like, nope. And they're like, uh, oh, well. <laughs> like, it just seems like, it's like, didn't you see pieces of his body, like, underwater? <laughs> like, or anything, yeah. Any, any blood? <laughs> and it's just, a, it's a little bit in vain, I think. He doesn't really get a, a moment. Um, yeah, the, the pacing in the last... To, to just expand the discussion a little bit, the pacing felt strange because I remember looking at the timer of the movie like there's no way there's 13 minutes left and they're still just kind of, they spent a long time just tossing barrels in and shooting harpoons yeah. and cutting stuff and tying stuff and just um, sort of this nonsense or like pointless action. Um, and then he sort of just gets eaten. And... <laughs> I mean, the same thing with Hooper, right? Like, Hooper almost gets eaten, and I actually thought he was going to get eaten, too. I saw the, um, do you remember the scene where the rope catches against the back of his legs? Yeah. I saw that as being foreshadowing, much in the same way that um, Quint's story was foreshadowing his eventual getting eaten in half. Um, And I thought we were in for both of them to get eaten. I was like, that just doesn't feel right for a 70s movie, for two people to die, and then only brody to make it out but i have fun fact about that in the end i have fun uh, but um first i just want to say one part i do like when they're getting you know all the weapons together and they're organizing like their plan of action on the ship is when hooper i think it's i think it's hooper and he's like walking alongside um the ship and it's like whatever shoes he's wearing is always like about to slip and you just feel like he's about to fall in that stresses me out so much (laughs) it causes me anxiety that part because it's just like oh my god they're like really in the middle of the water and they could all just fall in at some point but my fun fact which I was going to save later but I will say now is um it is based this movie is based off of a book by Peter Benchley which I have read um I read it at Langara in one of my English classes and basically it's very different from the movie thank goodness because in my humble opinion I think it's an awful book um, <laughs> it's just basically not about the shark at all and um, Hooper's in it from the very beginning and he has an affair with Brody's wife um, oh and they like focus a lot on that instead of the shark and then in the end Quint and Hooper both die. Hooper dies in the cage because they have to kill him because he's, like, this jerk who's, like, screwing Brody's wife. So they, like, kill him off in this, like, really disturbing way. Um, And then in the movie, Spielberg um, didn't like how unlikable the characters were in the book. Even Brody was pretty unlikable. So he you know, help with the screenwriter change the script and he wanted Hooper to become, like, this ally and, like, likable character and he didn't want to add any, like, personal stuff between, you know, I don't think they ever even really meet Hooper and his wife except for, like, that maybe short scene when, like, he comes and brings wine and he decides to let him live because he just thinks he's, like, it would be really unrealistic if just Brody lived and I'm so glad he changed it. Oh my gosh. That sounds actually awful. Yeah, that, that doesn't <laughs> sound like a great book at all. Can I ask, do they have you reading that because it's, is it considered to be sort of this masterpiece in the same way that the movie is? No, I actually picked it because, okay, because so many people are interested in my life um, that are listening <laughs> to this podcast. When I was at Linkera, like back in like fall 2019, I took this English class where we had to read um, 
books that had like food in it or like focused around like food as the plot and then for our final like project we had to present on a book of our choice that has like that has the plot revolve around food and everyone was doing like I don't know books that like seemed like very boring to me so I said to my teacher what if the humans are the food and I was (laughs) 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 so I like because the book is also really short I was like I think I can do this so I read the book it was terrible and then I like showed scenes from this movie in my presentation and I was like that's my that's my presentation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't See, remember I what worried. I got on it. I think I got like B plus. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried you were going to say you had to cook stuff from the book and bring that in. Ew. And it's just going to be like an arm or something. An arm. Yeah, that was that was a move on my part. <laughs> That's fantastic. But That's really creative, actually. I love that. I also didn't know any books like that I liked that, <laughs> that had like food in it. I just couldn't think of anything. And then I thought you know what, why don't I make us the food? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, don't recommend reading the book. I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone out there that that Peter Benchley's Jaws is like their all-time favorite book. I'm very, I apologize, but it's not my, not my thing. (laughs) I think that's going to be a lot of people. Um, well, before I move on to some more fun facts, do you have anything left that you want to share about like any favorite scenes or anything? Okay, yeah. I there was one thing that I've been I've been waiting sitting on, uh, and I just kind of want to run it by you and see how you feel about it. Yeah. And I want your interpretation, your best English person interpretation. Oh. Um, no pressure. They kind of have this this throwaway line. I think it's um, Brody talking to. I think Brody's talking to Quint at this point. No, Brody's Brody's talking to Hooper, and they're talking about his fear of the water and he's he's like it's um says well it's pretty silly for you to go to an island if you're afraid of the water Mm -hmm. and he says it's only an island if you look at it from the water and that felt like a really so deep complex line for the throwaway scene that it was yeah and i'm I'm wondering how you feel about that and if you do you think it speaks to any deeper message or was just feeling particularly poetic that day Quint says this to Brody, right? Quint says I think, it. Sorry, yeah. uh, Bro- Brody says it's only Brody. an island if you look at it from the water. Oh, Brody says that. Okay. Ooh, um, that seems like something he would not say. Like, he doesn't seem like... But, you know, good for him coming up with a line like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that it is interesting because I've always watched and I've wondered, like, why, if he's so afraid of the water, is he living on Amity Island, which, you know, is is technically Martha's Vineyard in, in New York. Um, but, oh gosh, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot here. I don't it's know. Because okay, okay. <laughs> I, I agree. He doesn't, beyond that, that's kind of the last time that we hear about his fear. Because apart from that, he just yeah. gets drunk to, to deal with it. What do you think? Um, when they first get on the boat, he just like, he's like, I'm not drunk enough for this. And then he gets more drunk and then he goes on the boat. It's a very limited sort of setup conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, but that, that line just stuck out to me. Yeah. Do you think it has any, like, deeper meaning? Um, I'll try to... I mean, I, I saw the whole movie as sort of being about Brody's control of the situation, right? Like, his, his ability to control things. 
and the move to amity is sort of a move to somewhere where he has more control more power and then he has to sort of come to terms with the water which is somewhere where not just he but all humans Mm -hmm. are out of control and he's on this boat and he has to relinquish power to the captain and there's all these different sort of dynamics going on where he has to he gets put in these uncomfortable situations um yeah and i don't know i mean it's only an island if you look at it from the water right it's that speaks to perspective and i don't really know how to tie that back into yeah what i was trying to get at but it's i I was curious if you had a i guess because like he's never in the water he'll never think he's on an island (laughs) so he'll always it it feels like a just a joke right yeah it is Um, it is interesting i I mean in some ways like like, i wish i had more to say i'm sorry (laughs) no it's okay i i think in some ways like i almost read it as you know anything can be an island if you look at it right if you if you start going down that line of thinking you know new york is could be an island like the entire continent is an island you're always surrounded by this water right yeah um you know maybe that's something that he just has to tell himself um yeah, he never he doesn't swim for fun ever in the movie, hey? No, he didn't even no, not even with his kids. Um even like yeah, when they were playing around in the tiny little boat. Mhm. You know what? If I had to if I had to really put a a fine point on it, I would probably say that that quote has to do with the idea of otherness that is explored in the movie a lot, right? The shark is sort of this alien threat um yeah. coming from the water and you know the the water is is again like sort of this foreign territory and i think you get a lot of shots in the movie especially in the beginning that deal with this where the water is sort of lapping at the edges of the camera and you have this real split between the the water and the beach Um, yes but if you always stay on the beach side then the scary thing is not the island the scary thing is the ocean right and it's it's him creating this divide between himself and and the nature maybe yeah and he like anyways hates... that's my <laughs> that's so good and he hates like the water and he like wants to close the beaches yes for everyone's safety but he's also like terrified of the water so of course he wants to close the beaches like it, it, there's so many like underlying things if you pick apart at and like unpack everything that's there is is really mm-hmm. interesting but then he buys his son a boat. It's so interesting. Yeah. And then I guess in the end, he's conquered his fear of the water. Like when he's swimming back with like Dreyfus. <laughs> I don't I love know. The idea, um, I love the idea that you just sort of um, posited of like, he's just trying to, cl- the entire time, he doesn't care if there's a shark. Yeah. Or not. He just wants to <laughs> close the beaches because he's afraid of water. Yeah. The whole premise. You know what would be cool that I just thought of? Of like, you know how um recently i I haven't seen it but i don't even know if it's out yet but they made like um a movie about the making of the godfather like they had like people playing you know marlon brando al pacino and stuff and like showing like how how complicated that movie was being made maybe it was a series i don't know wouldn't that be cool for this movie like because there's so much drama like that i will get to in my fun facts but you know, a movie based on, like, the making of this movie, I think would be really cool. It would be fantastic. The animatronics, you'd have Bruce as, like, the main character. Yes. And, like, Spielberg. Yeah, think, um, didn't they do that with, um, 
Citizen Kane recently too? Yeah, I think so. I'm just. Looking I didn't up the hear about the Godfather, Godfather one, but I'm just did you ever look- watch that? I did not. Yeah, it's with Oscar Isaac, um, the Godfather. And I know Army Hammer was supposed to be in it, but ha ha ha, he is not. <laughs> um, oh yeah, Miles Teller. Oh, I guess it already came out. It's called The Making of the Godfather. Oh, it's a miniseries. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that explains it because I, I okay, hadn't heard Okay, I think it's it. on HBO, um, oh, Paramount Plus, so I did not watch that. Not the most original title ever. I know, right? <laughs> wait maybe that was the title of the article maybe i should just make sure before i like say that it is actually called that oh it's called the offer (laughs) never mind (laughs) (laughs) um but i think that would do you can you see like if this movie was made today like let's say it was made in like today but like set in like 1975 um could you see like anybody be in those roles because i think everyone in this movie is so perfect like i cannot see anyone playing quint except robert Shaw. okay so having watched the lighthouse recently i would love to see willem dafoe Ooh. um that's as quint actually that's, that's such that a good one. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's so um, good or actually i think um i think at one point uh john voigt was a candidate for that um yeah who do you know john voigt um the name sounds familiar i'm just gonna look him up quickly but he is the nasty camp counselor in holes who gets scratched across the face oh oh he's angelina jolie's dad yes yeah that's the one yes i know him um i think that he could be a good quint that's so good you know Um, yeah i was thinking also like and I haven't seen this movie for a while, and I don't know if he's still, like, doing a lot of stuff, but I really like the movie Green Book, and I think Viggo Mortensen could be really cool as um, Quinn. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. And for, like, Brody, I definitely, like, off the top of my head, for, like, an everyman person, I could see someone like, um, and maybe this is just because I'm an Office fan, but like Steve Carell <laughs> or John Krasinski. I, I guess Steve Carell's a bit too old now, but I could see John Krasinski in that role. Krasinski might actually be the perfect pick. I was trying to think of a good everyman nowadays, but he just hits all the notes without being, I mean, over the top. I know he was recently, he was in the Marvel movies recently, I think, wasn't he in that new Doctor Strange? Yes. But, um... He's sort of the only one who doesn't have that hero aura that you could cast as just like a, a cop. Um, that's really good. Wow. So you got John Krasinski, Willem Dafoe. And what about the scientist? I don't know. That that's the one I was just trying to think of and I'm stuck on. I find that like, okay, do you know, um, did you ever watch The Good Place? Like with Kristen Bell? Yes. Do you know like the guy that plays Cheaty? Wouldn't he be good? Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. That's the first person that's, like, coming to mind right now. I feel like... Okay, what's his name? I should know. Um, William Jackson Harper. Yeah. I feel like he could be a really good... Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's someone else out there that could be Hooper. He doesn't feel like he has that rich kid vibe. Though. Yeah, he doesn't have also, like, the like the same kind of... Not that he doesn't have comedic timing, but the other one, like, brought some vibe to it. That's hard to, like, replicate. 
he's just got this yeah almost he's not jolly that's not the right word he has this enthusiasm that's hard to yeah oh i don't know i'm stuck on that one yeah it's like a little childlike almost it's hard it has to be someone that i'd say is like not over 35 so i'm trying to think but like i'm all i'm seeing is like the chris's and none of the chris's would work for this (laughs) every time i think of like someone over 35 it's hard i don't think there's anyone (laughs) okay i'm i just had another thought too uh how do you feel about jamie lee curtis as quint oh a woman Ooh, jamie lee curtis actually she would be so funny i love jamie lee curtis that's actually so cool that you picked a woman Here's me, like, saying there's not enough women in this movie, and I'm just picking all men. Wouldn't that be so great? Um, yeah. Well, to be to be fair, I only was thinking that because I was racking my brain trying to think of other short white yeah. men to play um, Hooper, and then you threw out uh, um, William... Was it William Jackson? Harper. William yeah. Jackson Harper. Uh, and then I was like, oh, right, yeah, we don't have to, like, stay faithful to the exact look of these characters. Jamie um, Lee Curtis would be perfect, actually, because she's always in these kinds of horror films, and she would bring such a spooky vibe. I think that it would be perfect. I can't think of a better per- person for Hooper, but I would love to see Jamie Lee Curtis do something like that. But yeah, okay, I have some fun facts. Um... Let me just bring them up. So this movie um, made 75... Oh, sorry, wait. Where did my... I lost it now. Sorry. Okay. This movie made um, $472 million, and its budget was $9 million, which 472 like, back then? This was, like, the first blockbuster of all time um and definitely the first summer blockbuster because a lot of movies that came out in the summer were usually like really small production like b pictures and after this movie people began to think "Hmm, maybe summer is a time when people go to the movies so they started like making like big movies come out in the summer like back to the future um indiana jones uh raiders of the lost ark like they started like putting out a lot of movies during the summer and that's because of this (laughs) it's the opposite of today hey yeah i find that like there aren't many big summer blockbusters anymore or no i i meant um the original like this idea that good movies don't come out in the summer oh yeah Um, i feel like uh we've totally moved away from that and it was this movie that did it yes it was super interesting I can't imagine going to see Jaws in, like, <laughs> the middle of winter. Oh, I bet the shark looked good back then, too. Oh, yeah. I bet it did. Um, there are a lot of... Oh, before I go to casting what-ifs, um, this movie got four Oscar nominations, and it won just one. Oh, sorry, it won three. Oh, let me say that again. Okay, this movie got four Oscar nominations, <laughs> and it won for three. It was nominated for Best Picture, but lost to... One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Have you seen that movie? It's with um, Jack Nicholson. I have not seen it. I have read the book, though. Oh, it's supposed to be really good. I really want to watch it. I've, I've never seen it. And it won three Oscars for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and, of course, Best Score for John Williams' of music. Of course, has to 
has to win for that. I want to ask you, have you seen any of these actors in other movies before? Oh, wow. Um, I feel in my heart that I have. And <laughs> I'm going to cheat and... Just look it up. Look it up really quick. Um, because I'm sure that I've seen at least uh, Roy Schneider in something. Um, He's in that famous one, The French Connection. Oh, um, I haven't seen which that Which I yet. watched in school. Wait, oh. sorry, The French Connection. Isn't that the new Wes Anderson movie? No, that's called The French Dis- Dispatch. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Close. Um, no, The French Connection. It, like, won lots of Oscars. And I think it's, like, his most... One of his most famous roles. I watched it in grade 12 in film studies. Um, yeah, that's the last time I watched it. I feel like I should rewatch it again. I feel like I was a bit immature back then. Um, <laughs> that I should, like, rewatch it. Because it, it is a great movie, and I, I don't think I appreciated it as much as I should have. Um, no, but Richard Dreyfus, we've done a couple of his movies on the pod. Um, American Graffiti is one of my favorite, like, movies to watch in the summer. Um, and that was made before Jaws. And I always joke, like, with my friends how, like, two years before he looked like he was, like, 15 years old in American Graffiti. And then two years later, he's, like... <laughs> A, with a beard and looks like he looks like he's like a 35 year old man so I always like joke about that with my friends it's the true hipster okay so I'm looking now yeah I've only seen James and the Giant Peach that's the only other movie that I've seen of his and that was ages ago um yeah but I've heard very good things about um actually Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead yeah that is supposed to be amazing hey I've never seen it. I think, I can't remember where we were talking about it. It must have been in a Shakespeare class. It's the only thing I can think of. Because it's like the two side characters in Hamlet or whatever. Um, Yeah. But yeah, he's got it. I'm very surprised actually that none of these people really had their careers like sort of take off after Jaws in the same way as Spielberg's and John Williams did. Well, Dreyfus did... Um, with, um, he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, and then he won the Oscar for that. Oh my gosh. So his career kicked off a lot, and then it kind of, like, went downhill, um, because I think he got into drugs, but, um, he was really big, like, because it was, like, American Graffiti, then it was, like, this movie, then it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and he won an Oscar, and there was, like, Stand By Me and, like, a lot of other movies, um the goodbye girl which i've never seen i'm just looking i'm literally mm-hmm. just reading off <laughs> list of movies um and i've watched close encounters of the third kind and i i honestly have to say like i like this move this movie that we're talking about right now better um he's good in it i just i just feel like it was like his prequel before et kicked off and like et is such a good movie yeah it felt like he was kind of getting his when you make his two space wet. movies when you make two space yeah. movies, one of them is always going to take precedent, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's weird that um, Bro- Brody, Robert, um, what's his name? Roy Scheider's career didn't like take off. Like you would think like, but that's what's kind of cool about this movie is none of them are like these leading men, like Hollywood actors that, mm-hmm. and I kind of like that. Um, Robert Shaw literally died like a year after this movie. So his career did not take a uh, kick off. But... <laughs> Yeah, and the little um, bit of trivia I did read about him, it said he was beer drink or binge drinking and escaping to Canada to avoid tax, um, tax evade. Of course, he comes here during filming, of course. So, you know, maybe no surprises there. 
But there are some casting what ifs um, real quick. So Spielberg did say, quote, um, he wanted someone anonymous. Um, and he said, quote, believing that this was happening to people like you and me, whereas stars bring a lot of memories along with them. And those memories can sometimes corrupt the story. And he added, quote, the superstar was going to be the shark. So um, he really wanted some control over who he cast. Um, one of the first persons to get cast in the movie was Chrissy, the first victim, um, played by Suzanne Backlini because she was a stunt woman who was willing to perform nude. So she was like first cast. <laughs> I was surprised um, about that too. Like they, you do get a, a glimpse. Um, I kind of thought yeah, Jaws I know, was a bit of a days... family movie in a weird way. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> That is kind of weird that you thought that. <laughs> but I know I'm surprised too. Like, you know, it was like a couple years after the Hayes Code um, was dissolved. But still, like, especially because it was one of Spielberg's first movies, he just like jumped to it. He was going to have the violence. He was going to have everything. <laughs> um, all the stuff. So for Brody, Spielberg wanted Robert Duvall. Um, I'm just looking him up quickly because I don't know who this person is. But apparently he's still alive, so good for him. Is he related at um, all to the shining Shelley Duvall? Oh, that is the only that's where I recognize that I name. Oh, this guy has... He's in Apocalypse Now. Oh, he's in a lot of movies. I don't know if he's related to uh, Shelley Duvall, though. Did he play... Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, or was that no? That was Gregory Peck. He's oh, that's in To Gregory Kill a Mockingbird. Peck, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, no, they're not related. He was meant to play Brody, and then the next person he turned it down because he only wanted to play Quint, apparently. And then Charlton Heston wanted to play um, Brody, but Spielberg did not want him because he would bring too much star power to the role. And then uh, Roy Scheider wanted to be in the movie after he heard Spielberg talk about the movie Jaws at a party. So so basically nine days just before production was about to start, like there's only nine days before it's about to start, they only have Brody cast, uh, Hooper is not cast, or Quint. Um, <laughs> it's like sounds so stressful from the very beginning. And Quint was originally offered to actors Lee Marvin and Sterling Hayden. Um, I don't know them. And then they, Spielberg wanted Robert Shaw. And then the one that was hardest to cast, which was our problem too, <laughs> 10 minutes ago, was Hooper. Um, Spielberg wanted John Voight, Timothy Bottoms, Jan, oh, John Michael Vincent, Kevin Klein, Joel Gray, and Jeff Bridges to be in the role. I'm just trying to imagine Kevin Klein as Hooper, and I can't imagine that. Um, Jeff Bridges. What do you think about Jeff Bridges in Richard Dreyfuss's role? That is a tough sell for me. I don't think that the that his sort of laid-back personality really would have fit in that. I don't think so either. I think he's not like... Not that like Hooper was uptight, but he was kind of like following the rules and I, I can't imagine Jeff Bridges in that I think even like his like 70s self wouldn't work in that movie and I think they did a really great job with who they cast did in this movie it feels like fate yeah, yeah the fact that you got such a perfect 
cast. Well, it feels perfect looking back now. Maybe that's just nostalgia. Yeah. But um, such a perfect cast like nine days before filming. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a few more facts. Um, they had a prop arm sticking out of the sand where Chrissy's remains were, but apparently it looked really fake, so Steven Spielberg buried a female crew member. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Spielberg didn't really think the score would work at first when John Williams played it for him, that famous score. Um, but then once John Williams started like playing it while this scene was playing, Spielberg was convinced. I can't believe he didn't think it was like a good score at first. That surprises me. It's so simple, right? I, I can see maybe if he just played it on like <laughs> on a guitar, just going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Um, you'd be like, John, what the heck? What did I hire you for? Um but i mean thank goodness he came around because what is that movie without the score as as good of a movie as it is um like the legacy it wouldn't have been as good is the music right yeah and i think the music also makes a lot of the movie as well um apparently robert sean richard dreyfus fought every day on set <laughs> Um, and Spielberg liked this because it made some tension between Hooper and Quint, which is kind of funny because in the book, you know, the enemies are Hooper and, and Brody. So it's funny that they're the ones that didn't get along. And, um, Shaw was apparently like a very angry drunk on set and he drank so much during the time when they were filming the, um, famous USS Indianapolis scene that um he had to like go home and he felt really bad the next day and he called spielberg up and said if he could have another try and the next day was the the scene that we see now nowadays uh, um that we see now on screen so oh my god he, so yeah he, he, he got another chance to do it he had to sober up to do the drunk scene yeah <laughs> isn't that funny that's hilarious yeah <laughs> oh gosh you're on a boat too because they they filmed that on a real boat oh maybe not the inside scene uh, I don't know, but they filmed a lot of it all on an actual ocean in Ma Martha's Vineyard. So that's like the only movie that's ever been attempted to be filmed in the actual ocean. Like Titanic was filmed in a swimming pool, which is understandable. Um, <laughs> this movie was actually filmed in the middle of the ocean, which is also so dangerous. That's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of time that they spend in the water. I know. But I bet, like, you're right, the inside interior scenes would have been um, probably filmed on a set. I'm trying to see if I have any more cool facts. Do you have any fun facts you want to share? Uh, no, I think we, we kind of got to most of them. I wrote yeah, down a, I think a couple we did from too. the Wikipedia, but um, let's see here. Also, like, this is, like, personal issue, not issue that I have with the movie, but because of this movie, a lot of great whites who, you know, aren't attacking um, people have been brutally murdered. And that's really, like, the consequence of this movie. And I think Spielberg has done a few charities around it because, you know, he, he wants to bring awareness around how sharks that, like, should live. Like, they're not meant to be killed. Um, and there is, that's, like, the, the downfall a bit of this movie. And that kind of makes me sad. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because... I, that's definitely the, I've heard that before that, that Jaws really set off this shark panic. Um, and it has this reputation. And do you feel, um, that watching this movie with a critical eye, do you feel like it, it sort of demonizes sharks still? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, obviously, like, I feel bad for the shark that they kill that isn't actually the shark. That, <laughs> like, you know, when um, Hooper, like, rips open its, like, belly? That's, like, so sad because it, like, deserved to live. But um, obviously, this shark was, like, a maniac, like, actually, you know, going too short to kill people, mm-hmm. which, like, of course, he had to be destroyed. But it's just too bad that people actually, like, see this movie and like want to hunt sharks for no reason and just like a killing spree and that makes me kind of pissed off mm-hmm. no absolutely and I, I i thought too i i almost believed that they were going to give it a more nuanced take because they had uh j- just because as we mentioned um brody's character was reading so much about sharks all throughout the movie and you brought this shark scientist on um and i thought that they were going to be more like I said, nuanced in that the the public had just taken it totally out of context and misinterpreted the movie, but they really do just have the shark eating people for no reason. Yeah. Which is just not realistic. So um, I was a little bit disappointed by that. Like it comes by its legacy pretty honestly in a sad way, I think. Yeah, I agree. It, it is It is like an interesting way to see this movie as well and some of the damage that it did cause in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um and probably, like, the sequels create more of that damage because, like, they don't really need to make any sequels and they just purposefully want to and then more people get, like, dumb ideas. So <laughs> that, that... And they're also, like, not directed by Spielberg as well. Um, none of them. <laughs> so I guess he was able to just, like... Well, he doesn't do the new Jurassic Park movies, right? Or Jurassic World movies. So I guess he just kind of sells his, like, his movie so other people can, like... I never get how that works. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if um, he has any of the say over the licensing. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe this movie because he had a bigger hand in writing it, as I understand it. Yeah. But I don't know how much of Jurassic Park or World or anything he actually wrote. And it's probably just... Is it Universal? It must be Universal. That's true. Um, that just has all the the licensing for all these movies. That's true. I really want to go one day on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. I've never been, and it sounds really fun. What is the Jaws ride like? I don't know. I've never been. Oh, but okay. So just the idea of it, the Jaws ride is Yeah, appealing. it just sounds, like, so fun to me because, like, the shark, like, comes up out of the water and you're, like, in the water or something. It's, like, it sounds so much fun. <laughs> one day. One day. I will go. Well, I have a newfound um, fear of sharks after this movie, so I'm not sure if that's... Really? No, not actually. I, You know no. what? I actually <laughs> don't love the ocean to begin with, so the, the shark thing was kind of baked into that. No, I feel like if... I mean, I never have had a problem with the water, but I've also lived like in a very safe place with water where I know that there won't be any sharks. But um, yeah, I can see how this movie can cause also that damage on people (laughs) yeah just the anxiety right like that's the big thing that's that freaks me about being in the water is the fact that you don't have control like you do when you're on land i don't feel like we belong in the water yeah and this real movie really just puts a fine point on it when they they just have that camera underneath you and you just have that vast expanse of the ocean it just um i think more so than the shark it's just the idea of that emptiness yeah, it is it is really creepy and I think they should I think it's a great way for like more horror movie ideas as well like filmed on the water would be really interesting. Um just because 
there's it's like this black unknown and it at any time at any point you know if whether it's the 20th or 21st century it's always going to be like the scary a scary movie the unexplored depths yeah yeah it's so that's so yeah. true it's it's really interesting that in 50 years we have not demystified the ocean at all like it still has that same weight to us i know uh well should we move on to the final judgment or do you have anything left you want to say no let's judge this. okay let's judge it. so did jaws move you or not did it move me or not i had more fun with this movie than i've had in a long time and it just maybe it's impossible to make a blockbuster nowadays that i'm not going to be a little bit cynical about just because of everything that's happened apparently since jaws but um <laughs> it just i don't know it felt true to its time but timeless in the same way and and very enjoyable and very fun like i said it's a spielberg picture so you just get a little bit of everything um and if you go into it i think looking for a good time then you're gonna have a good time um i feel i feel moved i agree this movie did move me i can't imagine anyone like watching this movie and and not feeling something while watching it at all um and especially in a movie like this I find that in a lot of new movies, a lot of them aren't good. And I it's hard for me to feel one emotion for a new movie, let alone like a bunch. And for this one, I feel like, you know, terrified at one point or like laughing at some comedic moment or like, you know, smiling or, you know, feeling relieved, you know, when um, Brody's kids are okay or, or, you know, something is... Or Brody has like, you know, killed the shark. Like you just... It just feels so relieved and happy when that happens. And there's just so many quotable lines in this movie that's so much fun. The characters are so much fun. The setting, it just feels like every time it's summer, I want to, like, watch Jaws. Like, it just has that perfect atmosphere to it. And I just love the writing and the story. And every time, even though I know what's going to happen, I still am shocked at some points. It is, yeah. It's it's this perfect yeah. movie. It yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Not necessarily the most uh, challenging, but it's this perfect like movies movie, like movie with a capital M. Um, there's yes. something about it that just. Um, it's not you don't watch it and you say this is groundbreaking, but it's it's perfect. It just fits exactly what it should be doing, and it hits all the right notes. Um, and yeah. it's compelling and it carries you with it and takes you through the story. It's it's really, really special, I think. And of course, the score too makes this movie. It could not be good without the score. Oh my gosh, yeah, we're so susceptible to that, right? Uh, music just gets to us and, and it's used perfectly in this movie. Just sweeps you away. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you watched it for the first time and I'm so glad to have you on the show for the first time. Yeah, thank you. It was it was a, a treat to watch the movie. It was a treat to be here. So, And I want to thank you all for listening. And if you have any movie suggestions you think we should do, you can email me at emmareviewsmovies at gmail.com or we are on Instagram now. Um, you can like send us a message there if you'd like. And don't forget to click the subscribe button. <laughs>